All right, guys, welcome to the party of Real People, Real Talk. Special guest today, to I'm Philip Jelena. <laughs> so, how long? How long have you? How long have you been? How long have you been training martial arts now? Well, I, I started in uh, actually in March of 1967. Wow. Uh, I, I actually wanted to do martial arts before that. Um, I lived in a place just outside of Montreal, a place called uh, Como, which has been evolved into a place called Hudson. Hudson was the larger town that was nearby, so it kind of got amalgamated. And I used to live out there, and my first few years of training consisted of me leaving the high school I was going to, hitchhiking out to the uh, 40, which is the which would be the 401 in Quebec. And uh, I would hitchhike into Montreal and train and then take the uh, the train back to Montreal. Uh, There's a 10 o'clock train or back from Montreal to uh, where I lived. And that's what it was like until about 69 when I moved into Montreal. And uh, uh, I, I realized at that time that my teacher who at, uh, I was doing Japanese karate, a style called Chitori, which is uh, one of the first styles in uh, Canada. I think I was a Shotokan. There was a guy named Ariane Stasiatis who started Shotokan in Montreal. But after that, uh, I think Chitori was very big. Uh, Mr. Tsuroka uh, in Toronto was the uh, first guy who brought uh, Chitori. Uh, he was the representative of Dr. Chitosi. And I didn't know much about that. So anyway, but my whole thing was just like, okay, I just wanted to train. I mean, I wanted to train with anybody who knew anything about any martial arts. Um, there was a guy who actually, my relatives, uh, we lived in that area for a long time. So there were, it was kind of like almost like a compound. There was, you know, there was relatives on either side of the road for like a hundred yards either way. And so uh, one time there were some uh, people at my, my uncle's house which was used to be he bought it from my grandparents and they had a small little house and some people who had some martial arts experience they were kendo practitioners they were they were going to move in there and i was so excited and uh, i didn't get to see them because but that that was it and then in 1967 um they the my teacher from my chitoru teacher mr tranquang bob came out and did a seminar or a demonstration at this place called the saint thomas aquinas school which had been turned into a bit of a ymca type place and he uh you know so at the end of that i said okay i want to do this and they supposedly there some of the advanced kids there you know they were very advanced but you know well you know, compared to nothing you're you know anything is higher than nothing right yeah and exactly. so so uh, I was training that way, and then it fell apart after a few days or a few weeks. Uh, and then so I, the, there was a guy who was there who was actually going to Tranquil Bar School, and he said he would drive me in. And so I would go in and literally, um, you know, he, I think he was there for about a month or so. And, uh, you know, he, he drove in religiously twice a week, and I would get a ride, and it was great. I would get a ride in, I would get a ride out. And, uh, you know, so, but what happened is that he stopped, you know, as we, as you, I've noticed, you know, you'll realize this as a martial arts practitioner over years, people come, they say the best stuff and they leave <laughs> after two days. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, and sometimes not even that long. So I was, you know, I wanted to come in. So I, I, I wanted to learn that stuff. So, um, I did this stuff. I, I trained all year. I would, I actually, well, when, once he stopped doing it, I started hitchhiking into Montreal. So from where I was, there was a, a main road, which was like a, a, basically a country road. And I would get on there and hitchhike to the highway 70 or the, 
uh, Highway 40, which is the main highway between Montreal and Ottawa, or actually it also wow. branches off and becomes that. And I would hitchhike into Montreal that way. Um, How long would that take? How long would that take to, huh? Uh, well, I would get out of school around three and the class was at six. So I guess it would sometimes, you know, sometimes I would get, I would be lucky because I got some really weird rides. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you, 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 I once got into a, in the car with this guy who I'm sure he was just, you know, I don't say he was escaped from a, from a penitentiary, but he definitely smelled like a penitentiary. And so, oh, and he was like this, holding his car, like driving like this, and it's like, <laughs> and, and you just sort of say to yourself, okay, I could get out here and I could sit at the side of the road for the next four hours and not get anything, or I could put up with this nonsense, get in there, you know, as soon as you get to the outside of much, you know, as soon as you get up to, like, to where the, where it kind of, imagine if you were at the corner of, uh, let's say, Don Valley and the 401, it, it, it would be, it, you were starting to have some connection to the the, yeah. the, the the city bus system, and so you could get in there, and so that's what I did, and the, before, I, I kind of knew a little bit about it, I'd been, I'd, uh, when in the early 60s, I'd gone to school in Montreal for a couple of years, and so I kind of knew how the buses work, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't like I was sitting there like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? But it was it wasn't spectacular. It was uh, it was on if anybody knows Montreal, it was on um, Cotonage Road, uh, right in the middle of Cotonage, sort of like next to the very pretty corner across from the the recently opened at that time anyway, uh, Plaza Cotonage. And um, we did you know it, it, I was there for I guess from sixty seven to sixty nine. And then we moved uh, the the school moved to a to the to a basement of a church because the, my teacher was uh, a sensei in, in Japanese karate, but he was also a professor of political science at the University of Montreal, which is a French wow. university. So, uh, you know, so I would have you know I would get whatever training, and then I met uh, Mr. Soroka once. Uh, he came down and did a seminar for our school, and uh, it was great. But you know. It, 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 you start realizing that there are other things, and so in 1969, my uh, my teacher basically left Montreal without telling me. Mind you, not like not like I was on his radar or anything. And uh, so I did. I went. You know, I, I showed up one day, and he wasn't there, and there was no class. And I kind of went, okay. So um, I, at that time, the CJEP system in Montreal was just opening up. And uh, I went down there and I bumped into a guy or I met a guy by the name Constantine Darling or named Connie Darling. And he was, a, he was a, a guy who had come in from the United States as a draft dodger. He, you know, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of that in those days. Uh, you know, a lot of really well-known people, Americans came and moved to Montreal or moved to Canada. And this was one of them. He was from New York City. He was a, a big muscular guy of mixed heritage and he had such you know he, he had you know he had huge muscles and yet he could do the splits because he was also a dancer he was uh, oh wow that's but, a great combination yeah well it was uh, you know he made me aware of my body much more so than anybody else had ever had done that point because most of the time you just sort of sit there and you walk up and down there and you do katas and you do techniques and it's sort of like i'm gonna pretend to block here and i want to pretend to punch your face now that's not against anybody doing karate but that's just the way it was for us and uh so he would do that stuff. And so he was, it was kind of weird because 
he was really good at what he did as a dancer and he was a he was a principal dancer and in, in a lot of you know there's a, a group called ballet jazz contemporain in montreal and he was one of the lead dancers for that and you know we would see him sometimes he would do stuff and uh i was with him till like 1973 and 1973 on my 21st birthday i kind of said okay it's time for me to take this seriously so i quit that school and i moved to uh the local Kajukenwo school, which I, you know, and I heard about that. I went, I went to school, I went to a place called Westmont High School uh, in 1970, 69, 70. And one of the guys in there, uh, Mr. Shane Malloy, uh, was, had heard about the school, he'd gone to that school. And he took me, you know, I was, I wasn't like Mr. Karate, but I mean, at the same time, you know, when people ask you these questions, people say, you know, you, you don't think that you did talk about, talk about who knows, right? Because it's like a long time ago. Yeah. And so you realize that, oh, okay. So anyway, he told me that he was training in his style, Kajukenbo, and it was interesting. And I'd read about it. I was one of those guys that in 1965, my father bought me the first, his, the first time I ever received Black Belt magazine. I memorized this thing cover to cover. Wow. I, I remember the ads in it. I remember the, 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 the stuff in it. It was like, you know, if I read, if I was looking at it, I could probably tell you exactly what's on the next page. You still have those magazines? No, are you kidding? <laughs> I have moved. So people, people, people never see. I don't have. I've won a bunch of trophies in my time in doing martial arts tournaments. I don't have any of that stuff. I have one or two, but you know, mostly because they were, uh, you know, sometimes I was lucky enough to win one or two that actually were made out of something that you'd want to be able to melt down and sell, or or they told me that it was and it probably wasn't. But but most of the time, you know, in the with the tournaments before I started doing it, they were all made out of plastic. And so, you know, you would basically melt, they would melt and they were, the, you know, there are times when I would win a tournament in the United States and I would have it in the car. It would literally be sitting in the back of the car. And by the time I got home, it had fallen apart. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Oh like my God. Yeah. Tournament, tournament trophies are basically, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're not much different from uh, participation trophies now. But as far as quality is concerned, but you know, it's like you you get what you expect. And it's like, and it's funny because I always had this idea that you know that if I had this this thing, you know, if, if people knew who I was, yeah, it would be different. And of course, the, nobody nobody cared. Nobody cares. And, <laughs> and so you, uh, I started doing that, and uh, so I and so I did that from about um, 1973. I got my black. I had my black belt from the guy, this guy Connie Darling. In 1973, when I showed up at the Kajukenbo School, they all told me, "Well, you know, we don't recognize your black belt." Okay. Know, the reality is, it doesn't matter because yeah. if somebody thinks you suck, and you suck, well, that's true. It doesn't matter what rank you have. And if somebody thinks you suck and you don't suck, it also doesn't matter because what rank? What's the rank? What is a rank? A rank is just somebody's arbitrary decision that you meet a very, very limited set of standards. I mean, for example. You know, uh, I was, you know, I, I had a partner um, some years ago and, you know, he would tell me like, oh, oh I don't, you know, he would tell me that he that he was a, a writer for a local magazine and uh, there was something called Fighting Arts, Oriental Fighting Arts. And he had a couple of articles, one on my catch game instructor because he was also an instructor under him. And he'd also did, met, had met uh, Ben Larcusa of uh, the Larcusa Cali system. And... Uh, 
he would and he'd been he'd met Vio Braille and all that kind of stuff. And so and he talked about Guru Dan and all that kind of stuff. And this was before Guru Dan had actually started going out on the road. And so it was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then I I was really impressed with the guy because you know that this is like all these people I'd heard about. And then later on I found out that uh, you know like they didn't know who he was. They just had no clue. Is that you or me? <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to shut it off so nobody hears it. Okay, well I'm gonna turn it off too. <laughs> so, uh, okay, that there. Woof. So you heard about you heard about uh these people through this through this uh Kaju Kaju Kempo uh circle of, of people? Well I heard about I, I I heard about my instructor um basically he was also one of those guys who left um he he had been in the I guess the Coast Guard in the States. There's the story where I heard it. he was in the Coast Guard in the United States. And he was a very effeminate looking Filipino guy. Uh, he weighed like 120 pounds, but he was, he was deadly. You know, he was, he, uh, he, there's a, I don't know, in Toronto, there's probably a place where people go and drink too much and train and hang out and pick up chicks and stuff like that. Well, yeah. th there's a place in Montreal called Crescent Street, and that's kind of like the Anglo version of it. Okay. And so he would hang out there all the time. And so there would be, uh, there, there'd be, Lots and lots and lots of people who were willing to test it, and the, you know he would go out and you know when I first met him, he had a his space, his martial arts school was under uh, was underwritten. The cost of it was underwritten by one of the local biker gangs because they figured hey, this is this is our our uh, what is it called our enforcer or something like that. I mean not not that they couldn't handle it themselves, but they were uh, it was just kind of weird, and so. Uh, uh, but I, I was told that I was no good in my martial, you know, like we don't recognize a black belt. And I, I, I got my, you know, I was the, you know, even though that may have been true in their eyes, it took me a year and a half after that to get my black belt from them. And, oh, wow. So that was pretty you know, quick. So how did like, you, how did you initially deal with that kind of, some people would take that as an insult. Some people would take that as most of it motivation with all your experience. What would you say the best way to take that kind of criticism is? in stride because if it's true there's not much you can do about it and if it's not true there's not also not much you can do about it you can't like for example if somebody says to you i don't think you're any good mark and you beat the crap out of them which i didn't do that with the guys at the school but you know if that was the thing it's like my whole idea is like look i'm here to train i'm not here to make you like me or make you hate me i mean it's also nice it's nicer when people like you but it's not uh necessary it's, it, you know, it's not necessary you know I, I i'm i was so busy trying to learn martial arts that you know the idea of, of somehow being you know matching their their perception of what they thought a martial artist a martial artist should be was like yeah whatever and he also did uh, something called white crane uh, he did a, a form yeah, of white crane uh, called hopgar hopgar means i mean hopgar translated means the hop family uh, his teacher named Harry Nanming, he was his teacher in San Francisco uh, when he was there. And he actually got shot by some members of some young kids of a, of a rival Tong. So just goes to show you there's like, you know, you may have all this martial arts skill, but you know, you can stop a bullet, but yeah, whatever. But um, then in 81, I had read a, um, an interview, not an interview, but I read a, uh, well, there was a, a march. There's a magazine article uh, in official karate magazine, which I will state is the probably the worst 
edited and assembled <laughs> magazine ever known to humankind. Because I mean, like this, they, they tell me what you really think. What, what's that? Tell me what you really think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this was I, I. It would be horrible. I would have these things, and they would be really lousy photographs, and totally, you know, they they would put a. For example, if you if if you were buy, if you bought a magazine or if they were putting together a magazine, they would have the whole thing set, and then they would take out bits and pieces of the article, because they had managed to sell an ad that would fit in that place, and so that's what they would do, because wow. they were they were it wasn't so much they were into money, but they just you know when you're when you're living hand to mouth, you don't say no. <laughs> it's like it's like okay, you know they're giving me money. All right, that's what I wouldn't do. Anyway, so. Uh, but he was a hop, he was a hopgar teacher, so he taught us these things. I I kind of took to it like a duck to water, or at least I thought I did. And uh, you know, after a little while, after I've been I've been there, like I started in November. Actually, it was my birthday, so it was November twenty sixth, nineteen seventy three. And within six months, I was a brown belt with them. And then another oh, year, sure. I got a black belt. So uh, yeah, when I mean, like I was when I would say it was a brown belt, I I literally I did every class they had. And I trained on my own uh, every, you know, every, you know, whatever I could. I didn't, you know, it, and I'd also had been training since 1967 to 1973. Uh, so it wasn't like I was not used to kicking and punching. Now, um, now, sorry, I mean, interrupt, but now that being said, because that's a very, that's a very, um, you know, that's quite an achievement. You, you go from different art to art and are able to excel really well, but you said something that most people don't do. Like, you know, going to a class three times a week and, you know, you know, then kind of being casual with it. That's one thing. But I mean, you were doing every class, you were training at home. What was the drive for you? Did you plan to be a fighter? Did you plan to envision yourself having your own school? What was that? What was that passion that kept you that dedicated? Uh, I probably thought it just because I was probably the most, I would look in the mirror and I go, God, you're so useless. You got to train harder. And so that's <laughs> kind of like, that's really what, it, my motivation was I just didn't think I was very good you know I, I didn't you know I my perception of myself was like you know sort of I, I was like that like going, huh? <laughs> you know so, uh, and so my idea was that this is what you do you, you just you know if you're interested in something you trained and you know I've been I, a lot of my friends have said no you you might have autism you should be checked or you might you know you have ADHD you should be checked I have no clue. I have never been checked. So uh, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. Oh, that's all bullshit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I'm all I'm saying is that these are possibilities. These are options. But uh, you know, you'd read. I mean, I remember. Um, you know, with with Connie Darling. So there was a guy in Montreal. I'll out him. His name is Vince DePaulo, and he he was claiming to have been after the death of Bruce Lee in 1973. Uh, he he was uh, advertising because of course bruce lee wasn't going to show up at your door after he died um <laughs> so he was advertising that you know he was he and his students were direct descendants of, of the jikundo group and of course we all got you know we all went up to his school like myself and my four buddies from that group and we all looked and said this isn't bruce lee's style and so you know he had a karate suit on and like he had a homemade karate suit it wasn't even like a, a commercial karate <laughs> suit and well, no, but that's more like his mother actually, who made it for him, was probably really good at that. You know, but it was like, yeah, but imagine, the it, imagine a pants that looked more like a kilt because it was like very, really open and kind of a lot of pleats. Anyway, so this is what, the, but this is kind of the guy he did. You know, he 
and so you just realize after a while and so actually in around that same time i started working um i started working with some bands on the road and uh so after i got my black belt in kendrick in 1975 um uh, a guy that i was working with uh, there was a band called mahogany rush which uh the the lead guitarist is a guy named frank marino and i had you know where i was growing when i was it's 1969 uh, uh when we moved into montreal this place uh, was called 4424. It was a youth center. It was like six or seven blocks away from my house. And it was kind of a place to go and hang out. There was a rich guy that, that bought this place and kind of gave it to the kids. It was kind of like, uh, yeah, thanks. You know, like we're really disappointed. <laughs> we're, we're really, uh, you know, we're, we're really put upon. And uh, so this is, this is the kind of stuff that we would run into. And so we, uh, you know, they had, they had some guys there that were, running programs and but in the basement my friend norman perry had put together a um you know there was like basically it was like two sides of a basement and he he made this as a um you know a rehearsal studio and so a lot of guys started rehearsing there and frank marino and mahogany rush group uh, started rehearsing there and they uh, uh and i got to know them a bit and then they asked me to go on the road so i started going on the road and you know my the first road the first stuff first uh, show we did we were opening up a really big thing at the Cleveland Indian Stadium uh, with Rod Stewart headlining so it was like oh, wow. uh, yeah it was uh, it was it, you know we were like 85th on the bill but uh, you know it was uh, it was interesting so uh, but I met a lot of people that way and so in so 90, in 1981 I kind of had been married uh, I, I got married in 79 and so I had a daughter and uh, um, I I had run I met and or I had run into that magazine that uh, official karate magazine about uh, two and one grand two and two Leo Gahe and so I I uh, in there they they, they had a small uh, what's called a uh, a classified ad saying for information Arnest America organization for information send two dollars to this address so I sent two dollars. And I got back uh, some photocopies of, of of that magazine article, and this was in the days where they weren't they were not ten cents each; they were like five cents each. Wow. So that you know, it's like really not that expensive. And then it said, you know, and then of course the other thing, like um, you can get a T-shirt from the Artists America organization. Just you know, send ten dollars. And it was like, yeah, well, I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> but it, um, but in part of this package of information, they indicated that uh, Leo Gahe was teaching a seminar in Oneonta, New York, which is about halfway between Albany and Binghamton. Now, uh, near my house, I the, the train station. That there was a train station, and I got on that train and took a train down to uh, <coughs> down down to the United States. It was the what they called the Adirondack, so went between Montreal and New York City every day. Mm -hmm. And I took the train down to Albany. I took the I took a bus into big uh, to uh, Oneonta. I was met, and then that weekend I had my very first weekend of training with. Uh, Leo Gahe, and uh, it was pretty awesome. I mean, the guy you know, I met most of the senior guys, like the uh, Tom Vizio was there, uh, Billy McGrath was there, A.K. Baraka was there, um, you know, Mike Franciotti was there. There, there were a lot of, lot of wow. whoever, whoever the the seniors were there, they were all there. And uh, you know, so it's kind of funny now because, you know, this was in the day. So like, I mean, the there's a lot of stuff that happened that kind of evolved but it was just very funny when people would say well you know that you know it wasn't like that you know in the old days and you go look you weren't there i would have met you <laughs> <laughs>
what was what was his uh what did you find his his teaching style to be like compared to what you've previously had when you when you when you met him well i in i okay my my catch gamble teacher was a uh, as i said before he was a filipino guy so uh there's an awful lot of things i mean filipino martial arts it's kind of weird because it it resembles an awful lot of stuff in fact i even see that on the uh, you know, there's a, on parts of YouTube, there's a guy uh, who who kind of insinuates that uh, maybe Kali was uh, the mother art of of karate. I have no idea how valid that is, but uh, you know, so the fact oh. that he would say that that is possible, and he said because you know these are the arts, the the, the techniques that that underlie. Uh, Kali are the ones that are the same ones that are taught in all those ancient uh, dojos in Okinawa where karate was first created. I have no idea how true that is. I've been to Okinawa once, but I just, I spent hanging out. I have a student who lives there and he put me up for a couple of days and uh, we never, you know, we, the only karate school I ever saw was the one that was kind of like, when you look out his balcony, there's this place and he would have these, the karate school was there and it was great, but you know, when I, we went and looked, we, I went downstairs, I thought, oh, I want to see this. We went down and looked and these kids were doing like jumping kicks on kicking pads and they had purple belts and, you know, they had like a multi, a rainbow series. It wasn't like, you know, you know, you imagine these things in Okinawa, you know, these guys are really serious and they're sitting in like, you know, they're on their knees, you know, hardwood floor. No, 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 none of that kind of stuff. It was a kid's class and, you know, the guy had, you know, they, they came up and did a jumping kick and it didn't matter what kind of jumping kick. They weren't doing these things really great. They were just like the kids playing. And it was, a, so it made you realize that, you know, sure, there are people out there who do this stuff, you know, but it's like this. If you go into the American military, don't expect to meet, meet the Navy SEALs at every at every corner of yeah. your life, right? Or, yeah. uh, you know, or the Delta Force. These are guys, you know, they got like 3 million people in these groups or they got 3 million fighters in the American army and maybe a thousand of them are of that ilk that is that level, you know, and we have some of them in the Canadian forces, but the, you know, the, you, you rarely ever see the tip, the real, real tip of the spear uh, in great quantities because why would you? And right. so um, the, uh, you know, you, in fact, you, the last thing you want to do is walk down the street and goes, oh, cool, that's a Navy SEAL. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a Navy SEAL. Or, or, or that's a member of, uh, you know, um, you know, JTF2, or that's a member of the SAS. You, you want to, these guys, their whole thing is you would never know who they were until they came up to you and told you, but you would never tell you, right? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the thing. And so um, I did, I, I was very fortunate that I, I spent the summer doing that and then, I, you know, I was continuing my Kajigenbo training um, in about 1980, well, actually, in 1980, my, my uh, Kajigenbo teacher actually resigned, retired. He closed, what they say, they closed his hands. So he stopped teaching. And uh, so I was teaching at uh, one of the places and uh, this other guy, the senior, my senior in, in the school, a guy named Roy Buchanan, was teaching in another place. And so that's how we evolved. And uh, I became a partner with that guy that I mentioned before, that guy who had written some articles, and that didn't turn out well. And uh, so uh, eventually, uh, you know, I started doing stuff. And um, in, I guess in late 1981, uh, I entered a tournament at the universe, at the 
uh, what's it called at the United Nations High School in New York City, and uh, I've managed to finish in the top three. I say finish in the top three because that we didn't really see the funny thing about uh, cultural events like 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 the ones that are done in the Filipino martial arts is that it's not really like a a cultural event is not like it's you you suddenly have you know okay this is a martial arts thing say yeah it is but it's also people singing choral groups and it's some fashion shows and so what happened is that we got to the end we had three people left myself and these two other people and uh we were told that we weren't going to be fighting for first second and third because they had three more fashion shows and some choral groups that had to do it and they they would get very upset if they didn't sing and and you know, do their fashion show so i was given third place because uh, i i was the newest person um the this guy uh, or this guy's girlfriend was there and she got second place and this other guy who had, who had the highest rank got first place there was absolutely no no um there was no rhyme or reason i'm not going to say well i would have kicked his ass or their ass or her ass, his ass. <laughs> because it's like you know it, it's incidental but the reality is it made you realize that oh, okay you know that's like that's things, aren't, things aren't always equitable you know if you you, or you do what you do and so uh i i did that and then i got i got involved because he stopped training i got involved with uh some guys in california uh some the people I was teach or that I was doing in Cali with in New York City got involved in catching gamble. So together we did a little bit of cross training. So I would, I would go in and meet them different places. I go down to New York sometimes, and they would come up here. Uh, in the meantime, uh, to Grand Tuankahi had moved to Big Spring, Texas, and then the following year he moved to Albuquerque, and then he moved to Nashville. And so um, by the time he moved to Nashville, it was like 1988, and. Uh, um, at that same time, I'd become friends with uh, Mark Denny and uh, Arlen Sanford and uh, Eric Knaus of the Dog Brothers, and they had invited me. I'd I'd been uh, I'd been down to New York, or I'd been down to Los Angeles a few times. Uh, a very good friend of mine that I developed over the time, named Robert Reich, had been he had been doing stuff at it, but he was also a student at the Inasano Academy. So I went. I'd met Guru Inasano at that tournament I talked about. And because he, he was the the chief, he was the chief referee, and so he came down. This is uh, he. I think he started. Wow. He started doing. Um, he started doing seminars in about 1985. Because what happened is that he had so many in in the years after Bruce Lee's death, he had so many people calling him up asking him to do seminars. He finally went to one of his his people. Uh, you know the people because he was a he was a teacher of history and physical education in mm. the in i think in one of the i don't i don't want to say i think he was in um what's it called pacific palisade so i'm not sure anyway so he he went to his one of his guys and said look you know i'm getting all these requests to do uh to do seminars and he said okay well tell you what tell you what you should do you should uh, you go there and do it well you know when you come back we'll get you in the guy didn't really do that the guy kind of screwed up and he quit he had to something happened to him and he quit and so when guru dan decided after his year or so was up that he didn't want you know he had met all of his obligations these people and so what happened is that he went back and they said uh, he looked and basically he could get back on the teaching roles but he couldn't he wouldn't be able to 
you know, the guys had his guy, his friend there, hadn't actually maintained his seniority. He had just basically screwed it up. I swear. Wow. I mean, yeah, well, this is what I heard. So I mean, like, and in the post thing, it's kind of what happened. And so, uh, okay, so he evolved, and so that kind of uh, that made him, you know, want to do it. And he started doing, you know, he started, you know, training and teaching more. Uh, but in the, in the last little while, I mean, he this. He's out there literally 50 weeks or out of 50. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, he's, it's amazing. But, uh, but, you know, but the thing is, and, but, you know, he's gone from like at the beginning, he was kind of like, you know, I guess there was a, you know, he was, you know, the, I guess he felt that he was going to rip people off if he charged them too much money. And so there was all, you know, I remember hearing some stories that, uh, you know, some people were, were so greedy that, they would pay for his ticket and all the other stuff just from the sticks they would sell at the seminar. Never mind, even never mind uh, the, the costs of, of bringing him in. So it was like uh, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, kind of stuff like that. But wow. uh, you know, but you know, but it's you know, we we would not have seen him at all had this not happened because he was more than happy to become a teacher. And you know, he's now what is 84, so 20 years ago, which is uh, I guess. Uh, 2000, you know, 2021 or whatever it was, he would have retired and, you know, just gone off to the, wherever he was and, you know, had a little life uh, on the side. And he, that, you know, as a result of him, you know, being an instructor, he's developed um, a massive following all over the world. And it's, you know, it's actually, it's kind of funny because he, you know, when his book, uh, Filipino Martial Arts, was the first book I ever bought because it was actually the first book that was actually accessible to anybody. But I would read books and you, you, you read stuff and you you really wouldn't get anything out of it because you kind of had to know the material before yeah. you could understand the material. It was, it's kind of like somebody saying, well, you know, you do a Paxau. I go, well, what? How's about <laughs> I, I slap your head and then I punch you. And I go, oh, no, no, that's not it. But yeah, it's sort of it. But it's like, well, you hit him and then you punch him. Well, yeah, but you know, so... Unless you unless you have a frame of reference, even unless you've got context, there's no context. So uh, I bought that, and you know, so when I tried to train with him, or tried to train with Gurudev Kriton, it was very, it was like okay, yeah. But my I I was training. I was so in, I was so you know I I traveled all this way. I mean, it took me, it took me like half a day or a whole day. I would get on the train at, at eight o'clock in the morning, and I would get out of off the bus in Oneonta at like six or seven at night. So it was like a 10 hour trip of whatever. I would take the train and the, and the bus and a taxi to get to the, from the airport. Actually, a very funny thing. I was in, I would took it, I took a train to Albany and then I took a train, I took a taxi uh, from there to the bus station, which just happened to be across the street from the train station I just passed through before I got to Albany. So I did, it was, yeah, it was like a $20 train station, $20 ticket to come back to where it was. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you live and learn, right? Anyway, so, uh, but, you know, it, it was quite amazing because, I, you know, I'd never seen this. I, I I bought a pair of sticks, you know, in those days, you know, a pair of sticks was $5, but they weren't really well made. But it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I, by the end of that weekend, I could hardly walk because uh, we had Eddie Jaffrey teaching us uh, Silat. Oh. He was doing squat kicks and whatever. Like, this is a guy who would stand on the counter four feet off the table off the where we were and he would jump and then land on his knees on this flag you know flag you know um, 
flagstone type of deck thing. And, you know, this is what he would do because, you know, this is what his teacher demanded of him when he was training in the Philippines, in Indonesia. And, you know, so these guys were like, you know, so I, uh, by the end of the weekend, like Sunday morning, I had no more glycogen left in my muscles. I couldn't walk up the stairs, you know, because <laughs> if you lift your foot up upstairs and then you need to flex put your, it to put your weight on it and then flex it to stand up. So there was another way where, where we were, where, imagine the, 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 the cabin was here and then where we stayed was kind of like, you know, there, there's a floor. We, so we stayed in the basement on mats and there was a, a, a floor above it. And so what we do is we go out the door on that floor and then we would sort of like walk up this angled, slow, you know, thing to the ground floor. And we looked like we were like Night of the Living Dead, dead because it was like, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's kind of funny. I saw, you know, I saw a really funny meme the other day. You know, you know what really sucks about the Night of the Living Dead? Or you know what sucks about being a, uh, a zombie? All that walking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so uh, basically, uh, but this is kind of what we were doing. It's like I, I had my skin, my, the skin on my hands was ripped off. I, I didn't know how to hold a stick. So, because I'd never hold a, held a stick before, I, I, you know, I, I bought a, a broomstick and I cut it in half and I put some some electrical tape on it to spiral it. You know, because in my mind, that's the same thing, right? I know, rattan, you know, saying it's made out of rattan. What's rattan? Like, yeah. know. <laughs> you know, and then you sort of just, you look at the wood of the those bent wood chairs and you go, oh, nah, this can't be it. So I would buy these sticks and I, I, you know, I you hold them a certain way, but you, of course, you don't know how to do that. So you'd hold them, and so the first part would be this part because this is where the stick would be like rubbing back and forth, and so that would start that would start to blister up, and then you'd you'd loosen up and go there, and so it would be here. And then the, the pads on all of your fingers would go. And of course, this is happening in both hands simultaneously. So you're going like this and somebody's telling you to do stuff. And of course, you're trying really hard because you don't want to sit there and go, okay, I paid all this money to be here. Yeah, and, exactly. And I have this opportunity to train. And like, I remember, when I, okay, let's go hurry back to the, you know, the time in when I was doing the Japanese karate stuff. I thought that if I, you know, I felt like, uh, like, Linus in the in you know in the, in the pumpkin patch on peanuts, you know if I was really sincere, if I trained really hard, you know they would recognize me and they would they, they would bring me out. You know it's just too that stuff that you look now and you go, my God, how stupid could I have been? But at that time, at that time, you know like when you're like 14 or 15 years old, this is what you know you actually believe that you know like uh, the, the difference between a guy who does really really well in in you know, in physical activity and guy who doesn't, it's probably just the fact that they haven't had their dreams broken. So I, you know, I never told anybody, I said, you know, he's going to come to me because I look really, really, really interested, but uh, you hope that, and uh, you know, later you realize it's not true, but you know, it's what motivates you to begin with. Anyway, so I was there and I was working really hard, you know, doing, you know, doing stuff and my muscles were hurting and I could, you know, we were squat kicking up and down and we were doing sweeps and at the end of the week, at the end of that weekend, it was like, I couldn't believe how much pain I was in. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I, I got to the, I got to the train station off and we were, we were at the, on the platform of a train or at the bottom stair of the train, I had about an 18 foot or 18 foot, 18 inch drop. You know, you, you get down from this so that never, so you never smash into a platform. They always have the stairs of the train higher up. Yeah. And I, I, I did, you know, I knew that if I fell forward, I'd probably fall backwards into the train. So I sort of like took a walk 
and I kind of one of those things where you go, okay, I'm going to try it. And I, I jumped and I landed and I, I kind of, I teetered a bit and my wife was going, Oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> and I sort of said, you know, I sort of held on to the cart. My, my daughter was in her little walker and I sort of held on to it. It was great. I want to go back. And so that's, you know, that's, that's the reality that you, you know, you're, you're motivated by what you're motivated by, you know, but in fact, I, I feel, you know, most people who have, easier time of the you know getting driven to the martial arts school by their parents and stuff like yeah. that they you know they 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 never get they you know they they don't understand why it doesn't work and they say well it doesn't work because you, you're not you're not hungry enough exactly you know? they're not doing it because they want to do it they're doing it because mom and dad are taking them yeah so it's a uh, you know i i don't say well you know none of kids say look you know i I, I remember I remember going there one of my uh, I remember going to a tournament where the biggest division was the under 12 black belt division and I knew that time we were all going to hell <laughs> and what was it what was the competition like in your in your perspective back then in those in those days what was the competition like what was the the, the, the vibe or energy like within the competition compared to to say now how has it evolved? Well, well, now things are much more political. You know, like if, for example, uh, you go to there, there are different groups. It used to be that there were about five or six really big open tournaments, and if you went in and won one of those tournaments, you'd automatically get like up, up, up. And there, there used to, uh, Black Belt Magazine or Karate Illustrated Magazine used to have these uh, regional. Um, ratings and so they have 10 regions in the united states and one another region would be canada and another region would be here and so they would have all these regions and you know like it would be like these guys thought that the being you know being rated in these regions was something special so um we would have there's one region that had vermont in it and i i went down to rutland vermont to compete in a tournament and you know they never heard of us they never knew us we were you know but they thought they were they thought they were they, their poop didn't stink is what you'd say nowadays and so these guys thought they were awesome and this one guy their teacher would come in the ring and every time any one of his guys would get a point he'd walk into the middle of the ring and go hey that's not a point and if my guy was on the other side i said yes it was there was a point and he'd be like all right because you know sometimes a lot of guys who are you know if have you ever been to a karate tournament yeah. you realize that the guys who do or the judging are the guys who never fight mostly yeah. And so if they never fight, they're kind of like easily intimidated, you know, like, what you, what are you stopping? Where are you, how, you know, you know who I think I am, you know, so that whole thing. So anyway, I, I was fighting this one guy who was um, a rated fighter in that division, you know, and his thing. And so, and so, and basically what he did is he came into the, the ring that we were all standing around waiting for the selection. And he said, I want to fight him, pointing at me. So, okay, sure, great. But the difference is, if you, in the United States, there's this whole, like, braggadocio thing. So you go into a tournament, or at least in those days it was, and it'll be, oh, you go to the tournament, and you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill him. Gonna kill him. It was like, and so uh, I did, I, to me, that it's nice and everything, but, you know, my feeling is that, you know, in my school, we probably fought harder people, like that guy, uh, the guy, my the senior guy in our school, Roy Buchanan. He'd won so many tournaments 
all across, you know, uh, in our area. He won, there's a tournament, he won the, like he actually won the uh, 1979 All-American Open, but they kind of ripped him off because it, it was a Korean tournament and he won, you know, it was one, it was one all and he scored the guy and then two, three referees said, I get him a point. And the center referee said, I, I have two votes, no point. And his guy in the corner, so that's 3-3. Three, three. And so, but I know that he scored that point. But this is a guy who won, like, tournaments. He won all sorts of tournaments, and he did really well. And so this is a guy that I I did well against in the school all the time. So this guy, the, you know, who I will remain nameless, but this guy was just basically walking around going, like, yeah, you know, he doesn't know who you think, who I think I am. You know, that kind of nonsense. And we'd be like, let's find out. Let's find yeah. out. And I, 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 I hit him so many times, in, you know, I think he was getting PTSD or something like that. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was just like, and the thing is, the, the funniest thing is that they were allowing us to do kicks to the groin. They never, you know, East, that's, that's a very, that's a very West Coast thing that you allow. I mean, in California, you're allowed doing kicks to the groin, but you're not allowed doing kicks in the East Coast. But the guy, the referee, I don't know, the the head, the, the guy who put the things said, yep. And so my whole thing was, okay, bam, bam, bam. And there's a kick in Kajikembo that we slip, we go, we do, we fake a side kick, and then you just let your, your rear leg go underneath you. So you kind of like slide into first base. And then as the person throws his kick to counter you, he leaves his groin open and you kick him. And so I kicked him as hard as I could. Oh, shit. Hey man, <laughs> it sucks to be him. What can I say? <laughs> I love it. I fucking love it. So, tell tell me about tell me about now. Okay, so let's back it up to when you meet uh, Mark Denny. Okay. Now you've been competing and stuff like that. How different was that? Because I like you guys are. I'm telling you, you guys did something that I don't think at this time was really been really seen. It was different. Um, and I'm sure it kind of rubbed some of the traditional FMA guys the wrong way. Sort of. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? How did it go? Because, you know, it's very exciting to be part of a group of guys who are willing to say, you know, let's just try shit and, uh, and experiment. I'm lucky okay. to have that. What was it like? Okay. Um, at the beginning, so I was very lucky because I was there, I guess, I met Mark, you know, it's 85, 86, and then uh, Eric, Eric, I knew because he was from New York City, so I knew him before he left, and Arlen, I didn't meet until, uh, I think, the, when uh, the first uh, event, the first uh, thing in Los Rombos Park in uh, San Clemente area. Anyway, so I was there, and, you know, uh, it was kind of like, in Ketchikevo, we were, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we, in our in our school, it wasn't like you would do these things and spar. You know, I would go like I touch you, I touched you, and I got a point. You know, if you if you if you didn't nail the guy in the body, I mean, like you would. It wasn't like you were allowed to knock his teeth out or anything like that. But uh, it it was it it you know like control to the head, but absolutely no control at all to the body. You know, like if you could kick the guy into next week, go for it. You know, so in a sense. Uh, we in the first in the dog brothers thing, you know, when I first started doing some dog brother stuff, Mark, um, Eric Knauss had made some uh, things that looked like fencing helmets, but they were made out of stainless steel mesh. So he had taken pads, and so he was eventually dissatisfied with them because you know you could have taken a baseball bat to somebody's head and it wouldn't have really hurt them. So um, 
he kind of they, they went and they said okay they took those put them away and then started coming out with the uh, fencing headgear and the thing is like the, the real problem is most people have with that stuff i find is the fact that they are it's not that they're chicken shit it's just that they don't know for sure what the deal is because they they literally you know they a lot of times people would be there and they, they you know they'd say okay well you know you know we're we're, we're really tough guys right and so but you know i i remember there were some people some some videos going out in, in the post talk brothers thing and there there were all these guys going yeah we don't wear helmets yeah but you don't hit for the head either so who cares you know so <laughs> it's, it's kind of like saying we don't we don't use knives that's right neither do we yeah but you know we don't use tanks either yeah well i don't even know how to drive a tank so okay i wouldn't you know it's just like it makes sense i think it's it's like but the thing is what what we did is we said look you have to both agree on the 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 kind of weapon you're going to use it cannot be a a a, cannot be a straw on steroids it has to be a real weapon and when you do it when you actually attack the person there has to be some consequence you know you can't just sort of go tap you i hate you you know you have to you are trying to you're physically trying to stop the person from from doing whatever they want to you so um mark you know mark, actually there's a i think that there's a thing where um where uh, mark was fighting a guy or not mark was fighting a guy it was like but the eric was fighting a guy and you know and he just he there's this whole thing where he does this tall you know because you know i think he's like six inches or at least six inches taller than me i think i have a picture of me standing next to him and i'm i don't come up to his shoulders so it was like i made me like oh my god you know that 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 must have been difficult for me (laughs) but you know so and he'd do this thing where he would do a backhand and i was fighting once at the academy they was having a group called after wednesday 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 night training group or the after wednesday group after wednesday night training i don't know whatever it is and so I fought him doing some spider dagger and he hit me across the knee and I literally blacked out because I, wow. I, I mean, I got there, it, it, it didn't cause me pain, but it just shut down my bit of my ability of my body to do it. It was like, I just went, you know, so it was like, you know, I saw myself on videotape later on going like, Oh, that's what happened. Okay. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, it was funny because at the same time, because I had done some kind of training. So, you know, I, I was used to hitting people. I wasn't like used to going through like, a, I'm going to almost touch you and you're going to be almost really upset. It's like, no, it's like, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can. And if you can hit me back as hard as you can, that's fabulous. But, you know, it's, it, won't, it, it won't be just a one-way thing. So it wasn't like, and you weren't just standing there, you know, like uh, there's some some groups, uh, some Filipino groups in the, in the Philippines that, you know, they say, oh, we do full contact. No, you don't. You stand there and you would tick with with uh, <laughs> with, with 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 large pencils. It's oh my god! I love it. <laughs> you know, and and they say you know, and I, I the the irony, of course, you know, when people say, "Well, you know, you know we're just like the Doug Brothers," and you go like, "Well, yes, you are," in that you're both practicing Cali and you both do this thing. But until you know, there's a there's a reality that if you don't if you don't express yourself in a way that's combat oriented, you know, yeah. like there's a, you know, you, it's, you, not real. you know, you, you know, well, yeah, it's not real. It's like, I mean, that one of the big things that proceeded, you know, at the beginning, everything, like, I know that he wore a lot of equipment at the beginning, like he wore catcher's mix, you know, catcher's stuff and catcher's face masks and all that kind of stuff. 
and it, would, it took him a while, but he started actually divesting himself more and more and more of that stuff because he started realizing that having that protection uh, is actually more of an impediment than it is a protection. Yeah. It actually, it, it doesn't give you the sign of, you know, the same kind of stuff. So um, they started, uh, there was a guy actually, uh, Eric Knaus, well, when he got to California, I guess was 73. Uh, 83 or 84 he met a guy named Dr. not met but he was introduced to a guy named Dr. David Wink who was actually the student of one of the guys that I first started doing uh, uh, the, the guy who sponsored the seminar a guy named Bujinu Matin anyway so this guy was a PhD in physics and he moved to uh, to California and uh, he was a really big guy he was like he was way over six feet I don't I don't I don't want to say how much over six feet, not because I'm afraid of them, but because I just don't remember. And I, it, it, you know, like, some people, when you say they're six foot two and they're six foot four, they go, hey, he doesn't yeah. know me. So, so I, was yeah. like, I don't, it's, he's way over six, he's way over, much taller than I ever will be. And he's over six foot two. And so anyway, so uh, this is actually where um, they, you know, Guru Dan, uh, actually to a guy showed up and said, okay, Eric, uh, we're going out. Uh, there's somebody who wants to spar with you. And that was the guy, David Wink. And so they sparred together and they fought together a bunch of times. And they started coming up with the, the basic tenets of uh, Dog Brother stuff there. Uh, Eric was, at that time, was a, um, you know, the whole Dog Brother thing came about because Eric was uh, approached by a guy who, I don't know if you remember Panther Productions, but they used to do all yes. of Okay. So who not Right, exactly. But and the guy um, whose name I, I almost remembered, but I can't remember. Joe Jennings is the guy who uh, ran uh, Fast Productions. Anyway, he asked if uh, Eric Knaus would be interested because he had won uh, one or two of the West Coast Screamer Society tournaments up in San Jose. And but when he wasn't dressed like a guy who would you know, you know strangle your grandmother type of thing, he would be. He looked like a. He was a guy who you know he wore glasses, you know blondish hair, short sleeve uh, dress shirt, tie, you know, pocket protector and things like that. And so he walked in, actually, he, they asked him once if he wanted to bring him to bring in. So he didn't have a way to get get the trophy home. So they took it home for him. And they, it was at waiting at the academy, at the Inasano Academy. And so he walked in and said, you know, and of course, everybody was looking at him going, oh, my God, it's a geek. And so they, 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 went, they were going, yeah, what can we do for you? He said, well, I'm, I'm here to pick something up. <laughs> yeah, what? And it's so that over there. And the guy was like, yeah, that, that, that's owned by Eric Knaus. And he said, yeah, that's me. And I was like, oh, you know, it was very, it's just very funny because, you know, it's like. Uh, We're expecting that. <laughs> well, there is a, there's a whole lot of, you know, there, I mean, the, you know, as, as cool a guy as Guru Inasato is, the, there's a certain amount, in those days, there was a certain amount of expectation. On, on a lot of people's mind, you know, they they felt that people had to meet their their image of what someone should do like or should look like, not just be, you know, not they couldn't just be good. They had to look like they could be good. So huh. there. So um, so anyway, Eric Eric sort of got his trophy, and uh, so then later on, uh, Joe Jennings asked him if you do it, and then Mark Denny was uh, a, a friend and confidant of. Uh, Eric at that time and said, look, you know, instead of doing it, uh, instead of making it a Mark, uh, an Eric Knaus thing, let's make it a dog brothers thing so that dog brothers, you know, this will last longer than 
Mark than uh, Eric Knaus because Eric Knaus, like for example, Eric Knaus is now um, has moved to uh, to Houston and he doesn't really do fighting anymore. But the dog brothers continue. So in that way, it's it was a smart move. And <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't like okay, you know, we're trying to replace Mark or we're trying to replace Eric. Say no, but it's like you want something to make him be sensible. And so the very first week we did in uh, Los Ramos Park in. Uh, uh, I guess it was, I, I'm saying San Clemente, but it's, it was, when you look at the map, it's not San Clemente, it's like right next door to it. But anyway, so uh, San, maybe San Luis, San Luis Obispo, I'm not sure. I, I, I go there and I don't always, I'm not the best, uh, I'm, not the, I'm, I'm not the best tourist, I don't remember a lot of these things. Anyway, so uh, we went, but anyway, we went down there, we, we put this thing together. They invited so many people, you know, and they were all going to be put up at this hotel. Mark was going to put up the money and put up the hotel and we were going to eat and all that stuff. And so we get there and then we're there Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We get there Friday. There are only seven or eight people who actually show up for the whole weekend. And this is, you know, and that's including uh, Burton Richardson on Sunday. He He's lucky dog and yeah. he showed up the first thing. But there was Eric and myself. Um, Mark and Arlen, so that was like four, and then there was uh, Steve, uh, Steve Grody, uh, then Mark Sandin, Mark Balaf. Uh, that might have been it. And you're talking about you. This is the this is the famous like meeting at that park. That's right. Wow. So so basically, I got to fight Arlen like a million times, and Eric a million times, and Mark a million times. And the other guys, as often as you know, it was, it was just, it's just funny because everybody goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, said, Look, nobody showed you know, and things we invited those people, everybody thought we were nuts. Everybody, and it's not nuts, it's just like, say, Look, at a certain point, you make a decision, you make a decision. It's, it's like, um, you know, and it, you can't say, Well, you know, this, this, it was, it was not that way, and you go, Yeah, it was that way, it was like, This is. You have to make a decision if that's what you want to do, and yeah. so the you know the Eric you know at that time uh, Eric Knaus was wearing batting gloves. He wasn't even wearing like you know we have these gloves that they're like a what's it called the um, common instrument have those like street hockey gloves or whatever kind of gloves. That's what they do, or they, you know they have uh, you know the the, the narrower version of the. Uh, Cross gloves, but they're still protected. They're, they're, you know, the idea not to break your fingers and stuff like that. It's just like if you hit Eric, it was basically, you know, basically he wore um, the 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 batting gloves so he wouldn't skin his knuckles when he was punching the person in the mask. It wasn't to protect his hands because he figured, like, and quite honestly, so that if you couldn't move your hands fast enough to get out of the way, well, then you kind of deserve to get them broken. <laughs> yeah, that's a different. That's a different level of. Um commitment to the art and to testing yourself yeah well it's a there it it, it was you know it, it 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 is what it is but it's a you know it's like it's one of those things where it's actually very funny because I, I was at a tournament or I, I was at a gathering once so a year or so later and it was at the uh, park right across the street from mark's house on fourth avenue in uh, in uh, hermosa beach anyway so I, i'm fighting this guy and you know, it's like it's a knife fight and or no so a stick fight and like i'm just i'm feeling kind of off and then he grabs he jumps up and grabs me by the head so like 
he sort of has me like a like a guillotine, and, and it's you know I'm I have a the fencing mask on of course which is holding me everything out so I was like this so I finally get him off me I'm so angry at myself but I mean like you can't punch yourself so you you do it to somebody else and so <laughs> uh, so I push him off I pass his guard and then I was so infuriated so I stood up and I sort of took this thing above my hand and went, uh, I drove it into where I thought his chest was. And I did that a couple of times. And it was very funny because uh, Mark put it on his uh, a grand, you know, a day at the gathering. There's a videotape that said like, you know, like this is what you, you're going to run into when you're really gathering. And it's like, this is the first thing. And, and it's like, you know, and it wasn't like I was planning to be all dramatic, but it was just like, yeah, okay. It was just like one of those things like, like I, because it was just one of those things that you just sort of like, I can't believe I let myself happen. And it's like, I could have been killed. Oh, you know, like, you see, you yeah. So what was the blowback that you guys started to receive? Once you guys started doing this stuff and it started to pick up steam and it started to grow, what kind of blowback were you guys getting from the FMA community? Well, I mean, everybody, okay. Everybody who has a Filipino background was saying, and they, you know, they would basically say, oh, Doug brothers. And, you know, they, some of some series of expletives would come out and most of the really most of the guys who were serious about it were actually very good i mean i'm not going to say that everybody you know who did it but there were a lot of guys who did it uh, who were would say stuff about the dog brothers but at the beginning it was it, it was a, a remarkable laboratory you can find out you know if we're, if it if your stuff worked you know it, it worked it and if it didn't work well it, it was pretty spectacular in that way too and so uh so these things would you know you would you would get some immediate feedback and you would uh you'd find out whether or not your material was as good as you said it was or as good as you thought it was and i mean i remember i remember fighting a guy one of our own guys uh and you know it's like i had this technique that i kind of I, I won't say I pioneered. It was like I was desperate, and then this is what came out. And so the guy would hit me in the head. I would do the umbrella, and then I would follow through with a strike across the leg. And I got this guy about two or three times, and he was so pissed at me that he he would just like you know he at you know so it was like that wham boom wham boom, and then I was just about to do the third one, and he said fuck you, and then basically bang hit me in the across the leg, and I was like oh, I can't hardly walk. So it was, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was interesting. But I was really fortunate because uh, at that time, uh, one of the other guys that uh, you know, a guy was training with me, a guy named Loki Jorgensen, started coming down with me, and he uh, he started you know doing his uh, his stuff in uh, the Dog Brothers as well. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was. Uh, there were, you know, there were a lot of people that were uh, that were that were there that were. Uh, you know, slowly starting to uh, come out and they were starting to, you know, the Canadians were considered, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that we were, we weren't noted for being polite anymore. <laughs> so speaking of which, I mean, there's not many, I mean, how many dog brothers are there in Canada? Like uh, eight or nine, six or eight. Or nine. It's hard to say. I, I don't, I don't want to go and say, yeah, because I, like, I feel bad because, you know, like I know that, uh, there's uh, at least five or six of them in Toro in uh, in Vancouver. There's uh, one, two, three. Uh, let's say four, maybe four or five in Montreal, and uh, uh, one, two, three, 
four, maybe five for Toronto. Well, five, yeah, I mean, for Toronto, yeah, there'd be like four, five, maybe six. And they, it's, I don't want to say there isn't more. It's just that, you know, it's like saying, you know, quick, name all the streets you drive by when you're on your yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, the reason why I say is because we are the Canadian camp, and I want to know what do you feel? How do you feel that like the pool, the talent pool here in Canada is with regards to to, I mean, because there's a lot of people within their community, um, both Gamma, Combat, and many other places. What do you think, like, the, the pool is for talent? Uh, I, I, I think it's unplay it's, it's it's very, very deep. But the, the, the problem is, like anything else, it's like, you know, like, the real problem in Canada is that in the States, you can do certain things and you can get away with it. And in Canada, you have to keep it a little bit further underneath the radar because people aren't as welcoming about new ideas. They are, you know, they want to be able to say, yeah, my stuff works. It's, you know, I was watching a Harold Howard uh, documentary on, you know, and he was talking about how, you know, you know, basically, you know, what he was going to do. He was his lead up to his participation in the UFC way back in the first uh, couple of tournaments. And, you know, he... he I remember seeing Hoist Gracie, basically, you know, the skinny little guy. People, people used, to have, used, to what, used to ask, you know, why didn't they put in uh, uh, Hicks and Gracie? He said, well, Hicks and Gracie looks like a fighter. So if he won, they would go, oh, he's a fighter. Yeah, uh, wouldn't have the same of, impact. Of, of the whole family, uh, Hoist Gracie was the perfect guy. I mean, first of all, he was young, so he could he had the endurance. He was skinny as hell. So his, it, you know, basically he was, he was wearing... He didn't look very big, even in his kimono, and yeah. he would wear his kimono, and so they would all come in on that, you know, the greasy train, and they would come in, and you know, and he'd, he'd spend like two or three minutes, you know. But but you know, but it, the most amazing thing, the truly amazing thing to me, is how quickly. The, I mean, it used to be like this, right? So the Gracies would be up here, and the rest of the world was down here, within a I don't know, two. You know, two UFCs was here, you know, it was here, and then by the third or fourth UFC, yeah, having a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was no guarantee of a win at all ever, and uh, that just showed me, you know, it, it just meant that all those guys who were, you know, American wrestlers, American stick, you know, whatever kickboxers, they learned quickly. You know, you could, you know, it's amazing because. The Gracies had won everything in Brazil for years and years and years. And it, it took uh, the Americans and their training methods to actually come up and say, yeah, okay, here we are. And uh, the, that's... Uh, it's one it, of those it, events that's forever impacted martial arts, like throughout well, history. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, a, you know, people say, well, you know, what was the last wave? And, you know, and they, they mentioned some, you know, martial arts style. And really, you know, I think... And it's funny because uh, we were, as the Oak Brothers, we were actually um, initially invited. They, we had, there were some uh, when Ray, Art Davies was was putting together one of the shows. He was asking us if we would be interested in participating in. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, as, as the Dog Brothers, and uh, ironically, I don't. Uh, you know, in retrospect, since we were never there, you know. I can say yes, and they, you know, I, I, Mark told me that they had, you know, he had thought there were going to be four guys, and I was going to be one of the four guys, and I was like, yeah, thanks very much. He's like, 
thank God he didn't ask me. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, that's what you guys kind of like were that were that for uh, stick fighting. Well, you know, it's what's funny is that we would get all these guys who would tell us that you know, well, you know, you're you may be good, but you're not you're you're not really Filipino martial arts and. You know, I mean, even in our own Pekiti group, we would, you know, we'd, uh, you know, Tuangahe would uh, you know, would allow things like, you know, they're the dog eaters. And it's like, it didn't take much to understand what dog eaters were. You know, they were the people who would eat the dog brothers. It's like, well, not bloody likely. I, right. I've met some of those guys, you know, they would be, they're, you know, it's all very good. And it's very easy to say. It's like a couple of years ago, we had a guy, we had some, we had a group of guys, actually, they drove all night from we got Wyoming. I got to, I have no idea. And they all came up and said, they'd never, they'd never done this before. And they'd all been studying doing Cali for six months or eight months. And normally you have to join, you have to, you know, you have to register in advance, not because we want to somehow control you, but because just to know who, know who the hell you are. Exactly, it's smart. And, and so, um, when, anyway, so it, it evolved like that. And uh, so these guys showed up and they said, oh, we've never done this before. You know, and uh, one guy, you know, so our guys were, you know, welcoming. Oh, you're coming here from far away, so welcome. And, you know, they, they tried suckering us. And so, you know, by the second round, you know, the, the guys, the, you know, the, the, the fighters that were there, you know, like, if you if you have somebody who hasn't trained in six months, you're not going to just imagine if you're in a boxing gym and you're going to say, okay, you're going to spar, and you're not going to go, you know, like Pernell Whitaker isn't going to go in there with somebody with six months training and beat the living crap out of him. What the hell for? Yeah. But it, but if if he fights, you know, if he fights a guy who's at his level or almost his level or whatever, or, or at least you know maybe you're not as good as you are, but you're just like, but a lot more than with experience the level they said. Then you go well. Well, okay, maybe yes, maybe no, not really. But uh, you know, they, it's like. But they they came in. They all did one fight, and they all then they left. It was like okay. Uh, I mean, imagine driving a thousand miles to do that. <laughs> it seems it, it seems pretty useless. But uh, everybody has their own life. So one of the things that I. When I first started to like, I, I was privileged enough because of combat. I got to meet Tyler and Renee, and uh, you know, um, and then I, you know, the, the younger generation, you know, Dave and Justin. But I really loved how what made it different for me was it wasn't just about the weapon, right? It, you're actually fighting, and you just happen to have a weapon in your hand. Yeah. How, how liberating! How liber like because when you started doing it, like you said, you had the you had all your all your credentials all your previous experience how much easier was it given that you had that experience to pull things off or to you know express yourself when it came time well i think it's a lot it's a lot easier than you imagine but you have to kind of break through the resistance to doing that because a lot of times you know you'd be there i remember i actually did a um I beat the crap out of uh, cancer thing at the combat once three, four years ago. And I was fighting a guy and I knew I, I've been told don't go for his knees. He has bad knees. He just had an operation, but he was in there fighting anyway. So I read this, the first three shots I did to him were on his knee. It was like, I felt, <laughs> I felt so bad. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Jeremy. I didn't mean to do that. But it, then you start realizing that that's what it's all about. Sometimes yeah. you just think, 
like you know it's like just because it is that way i mean I, there are a couple of times when there there was a guy uh another at the the same i don't know the same event but a similar event you know people would show up you know and it, it, it'd be like um you know when tyler and renee put that together the idea was to have it sort of like dog brothers thing but not dog brothers thing so that so they could actually do more than you know because of some some ideas and restrictions they would not allow you to do that if you were if, if it was a dog brothers thing so these guys would say okay you have to be like this you have to you know so anyway there was a guy who was you know could come could come out of the closet not closet but he'd come out of the uh, uh the crowd or he wanted to do it and he was fighting and he was fighting one of the the guys who had uh been doing dog brothers but he hadn't quite become a dog brother yet and he uh you know he was fighting and then you know then he just like he was doing cheap shots you know like oh no don't do it don't do it. Bang, you know and you go like and eventually you just you eventually go okay is that how you're gonna play okay no problem i now understand and so he got the guy on his back and you know and he started punching him in the face and it was the guy was going hey what's this what's this, what's this all about he said, it's a fight you yeah. are you know you just got into a fight you you know you, you can't you can't play oh you can't play with that you can't do that way because it's a fight it's like it most fights are are you know are like if you're a boxer and you're in a fight you know that there's certain things you can't do you can't kick him in the groin you can't you can't step on his foot you can't punch him in the back of the head but you kind of know what the situation is because though those things can happen to you but if you start contravening whatever rules that are getting set up you yeah, can't you just say you you can't you can't be you can't start playing oh well you know that's not fair well it wasn't fair when you did it either first <laughs> how did the beat the crap out of cancer how did that come about how did that start and what's the difference between that and the gathering okay um a gathering a, a gathering is like there's a certain thing you know you have to well you have to register for a gathering there is a you know the the, the difference is that if you if you are a dog brother okay we're, we're actually trying to use the the reality of of being involved in this stuff to our advantage uh and for that i mean if you're if you're entering compete the crap out of cancer it doesn't really matter there's of course there's most of the stuff is the same most of the stuff is identical the difference is that the people like for example if you if you fight somebody you will that will never get counted on you know to a negative or positive in a dog brother event because it's not a dog brother event so uh it but it is you know it is good it's you know it's it, you know as far as that's concerned you know it's it was originally designed i mean um renee's sister was a cancer survivor and her and uh, tyler's father is a cancer survivor and for those you know then they said okay so what we want to do is we want to do something because uh, you know the, the gathering we had gatherings in Montreal but it wasn't like we hadn't really had gather you know the, the I the very first uh, dog brother gathering was held in Toronto because I thought that was the the best you know that was that uh, space anyway <laughs> so but I, I remember the very first one was at uh was at combat arts and I 
you know, it was, yeah, there was a, it was a slightly different, I remember it was a different building, so it was slightly different. And so we, but that's, anyway, so we had it where, and there was a room off to one side, then that's where we had it. And uh, so the, that was the very first one we did. And so, uh, I've done, okay, that, that that's what makes me think that we only did that one because we've only done, uh, last year was supposed to be our 10th and we didn't do it because of the COVID. So yeah. uh, I'm thinking to myself, is it, well, I'm not going to say one way or the other because I don't, I think, I know Sean's done a lot of, uh, uh, you know, he's had some uh, beat the crap out of cancers there. So I don't know for sure. Um, but anyway, I'm just going to put it down to being old. Okay. So <laughs> um, anyway, so the, but the, the difference is that the, the, the rule set is sort of the same, but not exactly the same. So that means that you know there's there are certain things that you can do in a in a in a dog weather event that you couldn't really do in a in a you you're obliged to do in that and you know for example like um, Mark uh, has always uh, whenever Mark has been the referee he's always had the right to stop a fight if he feels it's unequal and or stop a fight if he feels that it's a uh, if the person for example knife fighting. He gets to say to somebody, "Okay, you won that fight," you know, as opposed to, you know, even though it, it's no winners, no losers, you know, it's it's not so much you won, but more like I think you're dead now. <laughs> so it's yeah. Nice. So uh, I think there's that. Uh, but the at combat over the years, there's been some very very interesting stuff, and the, you know, um, it's just the the more organizational part of it. It's uh uh, I don't want to say it's one thing or the other. It's like, I honestly don't know because part of me, uh, you know, Ireland has fought at a couple of uh, beat the crap out of cancer. So, uh, and I think that one fight that he did with uh, Renee with the, oh, uh, yeah. with uh, the, the, the Krabi Krabong's uh, swords was, uh, was amazing, you know, and, and I remember him hitting, uh, uh, hitting Renee on the top of the head and uh, Renee kind of being a little, the, senseless for a little bit yeah he told me about that yeah. he well, the, reason why, the reason why i ask is because you know I, i'm i'm curious because i've i've fought at uh you know a, a handful of a uh, few beat the crap out of cancers but i've never fought at a gathering and i'm i'm feeling like maybe it's time i don't know when that's going to be but um that's why i asked because I, there's a there's a process to it right you have to do a certain amount of fights at a gathering be recognized, get dog. Okay, well, okay, it, it, you know, whatever your ranking is within Dog Brothers, it's incidental. There is a, a thing where you have to do at least two or three gatherings to be considered for um, for dog, and right. then you have to do another. I can't two or three gatherings to be considered for candidate dog, and then you have to do another two or three gatherings, um, to possibly to be considered for a full dog. So, but full dog brother is like, but you know, it's funny because. I, you know, people say, well, you know, what, how did you get yours, Philip? And I went, well, I got mine the very first time I showed up. Yeah. I fought about 35 times that weekend. Okay. Uh, I fought Eric about half a dozen times. I found, fought Mark half a dozen times. I fought Arlen half a dozen times. And they were not being nice to me. And I fought them, <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to fight, you know, because I, I tell you, I wasn't trying to be nice to them either. Um, I, but it's like, you know, people say, well, you know, I did it the first time. I said, yeah, it, I did that the very first time, but I didn't do it the first time. It wasn't like 
that was the first time I ever picked up a stick. I've been doing stick fighting, you know, by 1988, I've been doing stick fighting for seven years. So, I mean, I not say, I'm not saying it like there's, you know, cause of the years I've been doing it. I said, no, no, it's not that at all. It's more a matter of, I've been doing it for seven years. So I knew what I was doing. And so when I had to fight Eric, I mean, I fought Eric one night, I'd fought him for like three hours by myself on a tennis, on a tennis court. You know, so it was just like hour three after hour. hour, hour. Hours. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, and, and Eric was like, you know, and it was funny because, but the, the only thing that I would say that would made up for it was the fact that Eric had not started jujitsu yet. So I actually took him down. Oh, okay. Because you know? I mean, I when Eric learned, when he became a purple belt in jujitsu, this guy became a monster. Like he just sort of like, you know, he would go do it and he would get close. He would do this thing because he was training with the machados. He was bang and go in, boom, turn you over, you know, do this stuff and then start raining blows down on you. It was like, it was, it was hell. Yes, it was really hell. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's what he was good at. You know, he was able to do that kind of stuff. He was, you know, he, you know, uh, death from above was my nickname to him. He was, he was really quite a, he was, it, it was an amazing situation when you'd see him uh, do his stuff because he was a, you know, he would be like, kind of like, you know, like the old, like that uh, persona of uh, the accountant I was talking about before. Yeah. You know, like this, okay, there, there, whack, and I was like, whoa, what's going on? And you, you just, you know, you realize, well, it was, there's actually a guy named Ian Wilde who's uh, one of the dog brothers and uh, he, um, said when the stick whistles by your mask you have to wonder which of yourselves you're trying to defend so uh, yeah <laughs> how important is it for fma practitioners to get some grappling education uh, extremely important it's like see i I've, i apologize all you guys in the philippines but there in the philippines an awful lot of the stuff that we do because everybody you know it's funny because even though we are like the very first people to actually start using fencing headgear in stick fighting and no body armor. I, I remember back in 88 when I fought the, that tournament in, uh, in Nashville, it was like we had to wear body armor. We, we had to wear like a, the, the Dossi Paris hard, yeah, hard shell mask. And, and the sticks we had, uh, they were they barely were like maybe five eighths, maybe three quarters of an inch in diameter, probably more like five eighths. I hit one guy once so hard that I hit him the side of the side. I was doing a forehand strike and I hit him the side of the head and the thing wrapped all the way around his mask and hit myself in the hand. Okay. And it didn't, and, and so it was like, it was, it was very, very humid at that time. And so it was like, oh, okay. But I got, I, I, was, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is ridiculous, and I mean, Guru Dan actually gave me a copy of that stick that I have at my school, and it's really it's a really tiny stick, you know. And, and that's that's kind of like okay, I'd rather not have to deal with that because you know you have, you you're worried about yourself, and you know. And most of the time, the thing about the, the thing about situations where somebody else has the choice, I mean, like I, you know, there's all no rules, no no referees, no you know you know, be friends at the end of the day is really important to me because I don't want, I don't want to do something and, you know, think to myself, okay, I want to hurt you really badly. But more importantly, if I do hurt you really badly, I would be very, very, very sorry that it happened. Mm. But, but, uh, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to go shoot myself. 
No, but that I think that's important that after and that's the thing that's beautiful to watch is after you see these guys do this shit to each other, you know, there's that camaraderie afterwards. Right away there's that handshake, there's that acknowledgement. And you know, you guys are there for a reason and everybody knows why they're there. It's no mystery and uh and you move on. Yeah, exactly. So that being said, what impact do you hope to leave in the martial arts community? Um, well, when it comes to, oh, I've been sitting down for so long, my legs are starting to spaz out. I'm not worried about that. I'm just explaining why I have to look like I'm, like I'm going, ah, my, my right thigh starts spazzing out. Anyway, um, I, I, you know, I, when you start doing something, you don't really do it. You know, if you want to do something for real, you don't do it for like, you know, I want to leave this mark in the world. Like if you start doing that, I mean, I've met people like that and you know, it's like politicians who get, you know, who get arrested for, uh, for corruption. They're, they're the ones who do stuff like that. You know, like I want to, I want to be, you know, or that I remember that guy, I don't know if it was a, uh, the politician who we saw at Christmas time, who got you know who got dressed up in his suit, and while he was down in the south and wanted to uh, say oh, you know like oh yeah so you have to stay in line you have to oh yeah, yeah 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 there's like that was the kind of guys I don't want to I don't want to be associated with that I don't want to be that person that does that kind of stuff or tries to do it, but if if I if there's a, a thing that I want to do I want to make sure that everybody has access to the same information they that you know i mean i'm in okay, in Pekini, uh i've learned that you know there's a whole lot of technique and you can learn it or not you know but it but there's a lot of technique and there's an awful lot of principles and you have to you have to understand what those principles are because you know, no matter what that technique is it, it kind of it compresses itself inside of you and then somehow it comes out it's it's not you know there's nothing you can do you can't say well I'm never going to do that technique. So, well, you have no idea because there may be some time that using it is really, really smart thing to do. And you may not say that, oh, you know, this thing is, this is so stupid. I can't imagine. So you have to be a little bit more honest with yourself about how to do that kind of stuff. Mm, but when it comes to, when it comes to that, yeah, but when it comes down to it, you have to say to yourself, okay, when I am, when I'm oh. doing like, I see a guy's, I, I see guys who who have not had that much experience, and you know they they we all go like oh yeah okay, and it's you know I think to myself it would be nice to be able to say we have the curriculum because uh, we, we're actually we're in the process now of putting together the basics for a PTK Canada thing, and so and that part of that thing is is the curriculum because we want to be able to get people. And not, you know, they don't have to suck up to some guy who, you know, who is controlling who they are. I said, look, if you're good enough, you should be able to learn it. It doesn't matter. You know, right now we have five, let's say there's single stick, double stick, stick and knife, there's spadadega, knife to knife and empty hand. But there's also Malayo Sibat, which is a long staff. And there's also different other aspects. There's, you know, there's a Lukoft, which is like a, a, it's kind of like a, a karambit type of thing from the Philippines. And there's like, but there's a thousand weapons that you can use. There's like, you know, there, there's different things that you could possibly do. You can have a, like the Krevi Kravong, you know, the, 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 
the thing that looks like a like a, a tonfa. I can't even remember what it's called. Moisak. Moisak. Yeah. Yeah, my sock. It's all you know, the, the, the tampa, and then you have a sword, and you have there's a billion things. And to say that you know, the thing is, we're starting to know more technical stuff about all systems, and it's like if you you know, but you want to be able to create a community of people where it's not a big secret. I mean, the, the big thing before you know that like maybe a hundred years ago, it was really important to keep this information secret and hidden. And I'm not saying that you're going to sign, you know, make books and put it on the internet, but you need to be able to make your stuff available to people because that's how things die. You know, yeah. if you, you know, I mean, I, I, when I remember, uh, you know, when I started training with Guru Inasano back in 1990, it was, it, it was interesting because it, you know, you'd see the stuff and you'd see the material that would be there and you'd see the stuff and you'd say, Oh, okay. And you'd hear people say, well, that, you know, they never learned this, never learned that. And say, well, how on earth do you know? You know, well, mm -hmm. like they had like maybe 10 people in their school, none of whom, you know, like, well, two or three of whom were interested in, in publicizing what they did there. Uh, most of the people basically saying, you know, uh, nothing. And then, uh, you know, the one or two people that would say something would say, well, you know, it's not fair because, you know, this happened and that happened. And you go, yeah, okay. But uh, when it comes down to it, I think curriculum is the the thing because if you actually leave something that somebody can do, I mean, like if I might, you know, we were talking about, you know, what do I want to do? Well, I want to do that. I want to be able to leave a legacy so that not for me, but for people in Canada so that they can say, okay, yeah, that this is the whole system, at least there. And so once you have that information, then you can say, you know, like, for example, like nobody goes into a university and said, okay, I know everything there is to know about engineering. I know everything there is to know about physics because physics and engineering, they're growing skill sets. And Jake, you know, uh, what's it called FMA is no different from that. It's a growing skill set. It people will be able to learn stuff much better if they know that, that it's, you know, that the, you know, even if they've learned everything there is that there is that they're expected to contribute. You know, do you think I, this, do you think the same applies to Jeet Kune Do? Um, yeah, because I don't think that you know. I think you know, like everybody likes to talk about Jeet Kune Do as if like you know Bruce Lee, you know, was this guy and he did this thing and said, "Look, I'll use the analogy of Jimi Hendrix." I mean, I I love listening to his uh, version of Bob Dylan's. Uh, all along the watchtower it just goes to show you exactly how completely different it is and then and i remember when i first started listening to uh jimmy hendrix i was in high school and it was all right what the hell is this guy doing and it's only in the meantime that i've actually learned enough about his music to be appreciative of it because mm. sometimes you know like if you're if you think you know if you think that the monkeys are really great well, you're probably not going to be too impressed by Jimi Hendrix because the monkeys, they're, they all sing in tune and, and they all do this stuff and it's not cacophonic and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not stuff, it's not chords playing backwards. It's not stuff running this way and that way. So you just are realizing that you also have to be prepared to know whatever there is to know. So when it comes to stuff like JKD, you say, yeah, I think, you know, uh, people start saying, we all, they all, it's, what's funny is that when people start, taking a lot of information and they start saying, well, this is something that's existed all this time. You know, we all had, we had everything. He said, look, 
everybody had everything, yeah, sort of. But you know, I when I read I read stories about people in the you know like you know I, years ago it's kind of funny because years ago I guess when I first started in the eighties, eighties and nineties, uh, all the intelligentsia of the Philippines were saying that there was no such thing as Filipino martial arts. And nowadays, those the people who would train them or who are there are going, you know, they're they're not saying that they're now saying. That's not Filipino martial arts. This is Filipino martial arts, and not not that. And you go, well, based on what? You know, hmm. I mean, you have you have, you have a bunch of people who are there. You know, like you have there's some core techniques in, in Filipino martial arts. I think that there, every university would be able to, you know, should have their own department of that. But I mean, that's just because I'm I'm biased, right? But it's I I don't see them. I don't see that the art that the I don't see the, for example, I, I don't see like, uh, you know, this art should have this information and everyone else shouldn't have it. It's like, well, look, if, you know, uh, how can I say this? You know, I stole it fair and square. Well, same thing. You know, and yeah. I, I, well, you know, like when Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee was, you know, Bruce Lee learned, learned boxing from his brother, for God's sakes. He wasn't even, his brother was a, a boxer and, you know, Bruce Lee was a Wing Chun guy. And he was a cha-cha-cha dancer, and he, <coughs> and you know, he was he practiced some tai chi, and he practiced some the stuff, and and you know, the stuff that he did that he considered important in nineteen, let's say, let's say nineteen fifty-eight, probably wasn't the same stuff that he considered important in nineteen sixty-four, mm. and you know, and in nineteen sixty-seven, when he was doing the other stuff, and, he, and it it probably refined itself even more, and you know, but you know, most of the guys when you like. Uh, I've, you know, before most of, you know, most of the other guys who passed away, they were, you know, they were all trying to develop, you know, they were all trying to defend their position and their positions were probably all valid, but it just like, but, you know, you have to do more than just say, oh yeah, you have to be able to provide, you know, if I say that bridge is no good and here's why it's no good. And then you go, oh yeah, well, that doesn't say anything. Yeah, you know, that's like you okay, okay. So, how do you how do you how do you how do you say, you know, when uh, you know, if somebody says that something's no good, you have to basically take that same argument and go, okay, this is how I think you're wrong. Here's my and point. Here's my point. Here's what here are the points, and it, and and you have to be able to, you know, that I mean, unfortunately, there's, you know, there are a lot of people out there who who don't take the that kind of route. But you know, it's like you know, we we are in a situation nowadays where we have tons and tons of people who who use you know, well, it's that's just that's just BS. So well, based on what? Please yeah. illuminate me. I don't I don't disagree with you that it's not BS, but I want to know what it is. Why is it BS? Why is it BS? Is it BS because you think so, or because it confuses you? Because it's like it it doesn't go along with your particular set of uh, criteria well you know we're we think this group of people is wrong why because because we don't like what they look like yeah. well okay yeah I, per I personally think i mean and you can attest to this more than anybody but i think that what guru dan has done for jeet kundo and what he's done and ran with it i think he's pushed it further than than it would have than if somebody just stuck stuck to what bruce was doing you know at the beginning well i i think i think what bruce lee was doing at the end was 
you know, I mean, had he survived, I think you would see a completely different JKD now. Oh, 100%. But, you know, but see what happens, I think what happens, see, he became an icon, you know, when he made that move, you know, he made the movies, you know, he was becoming an actor more than a martial artist. He wanted to make that that kind of synthesis between the two. But then he passed away and he didn't even see the opening of uh, Enter the Dragon. It was, you know, and, and I remember uh, watching The Big Boss the first time and, you know, you hear stories about him saying, I don't believe, that, you know, because you know, he, he was really upset by the, by the you know, the, the jumping up in trees, you know, the stuff that actually they started redoing in uh, the, so, uh, the, the, you know, there's Chinese cinema. There's that movie that came out, uh, you know, they were all running the... Uh, well, they had it in Crouch right. and they had it in Kill Bill, you know, that wire kung fu type of thing. Exactly. And, and, and but there's a, there's a fairly recent movie, a uh, Chinese movie, where they had that same type of thing where they were, they, they kind of jumped up into a tree and then the tree leaves kind of carried them along. And you're going, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Hidden Dragon, or oh, Hidden, Hidden, I, I keep screwing it up because it's, because to me, it's very funny. Like, a, you know, garden chicken, dragon, whatever. Anyway, so, um, but, I, but I, but I think very much so that uh, Bruce Lee stuff would, you know, I think he would have accepted, uh, you know, welcomed um, MMA and, you know, evolved because it, you know, because it was the first true version of how the material would actually work. And, and you know, and the, the best part of it, uh, for me, the best part, isn't the fact that uh, you know the Gracies could no longer do it. It was the fact that the Gracies introduced this new thing, this beautiful thing that that took all these parts and put it together, and then Boom. Matt Hughes beat the crap out of uh, Royce Gracie, the founder of this stuff. Yeah, with like, you know, so it's like you know, it's like it's it's not like that he he beat him that there was a reason. It's the fact that the person could learn it so well. That it was no that the, the teacher was no you know, it wasn't like the teacher was so imperative to its its uh, application. It was yeah. the art, not the art. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And the, I'm going to wrap it up with this question. Okay. So many years of experience. What shortcut? What shortcuts? What nuggets can you give somebody in the martial arts right now who's younger? What advice could you give them that you think could could save them a lot of grief? I guess. It, the thing it would be doing is like, like don't listen to people when they say no because invariably the no is is them reflecting their own insecurities and not what you're expecting to do. But you, I would say, you know, get do the do the most you can get or do the most the, the best style that you can find and apply that. Don't don't worry about uh, all the other aspects of it. You know, you're the most style like learn boxing, learn wrestling learn you know, learn judo because it's a it's a great art in that uh, the wrestling is you know works but it's it's not it's not perfect it's it's got its own thing it doesn't work it doesn't wear uniform it doesn't wear clothes it's based on you know guys who used to grapple with each other without clothes on so there wasn't any clothes to grab so but nowadays if you are a, you know if i'm a fighter i i have to be able to you know deal with the fact that you know, you can choke me with your clothes. You can you can throw me with your clothes. You can do all sorts of stuff if you have clothes. So you don't want to be that person who you know who has to take their clothes off to fight. And so, but you know, wrestling is great. Uh, you know, there's a uh, you know, uh, 
could be that there's a, a weapon component that, you know, if you're going to do real MMA, maybe you want to do weapon component, you know, they, and, you know, then you have to say to yourself, okay, is this a firearm based component or is this a whatever? You know, you, if you want to be today's war, you know, today's modern warrior, you have to go to where those guys are doing it. You know, no matter what you are, you know, no matter who you are, it's like if you don't do that kind of stuff, it's it's pretty hard to be that the you know the best thing you can be because uh, you know everybody's out there. You know, like I I see stuff. You know, this stuff is you don't you shouldn't have to do this. Uh, I, there's a guy who I, I watch a lot of YouTube stuff, and there's a a, a, a little skill set. I remember watching an advertisement for uh, the Aston Martin SUV today, and I'm like, wow, that cost, cost him four cents to make that. And uh, so, but there's a lot of times where guys go on there and say, yeah, but it's, you know, it, it, you know running is not going to make you lose weight. Said, you know, it's like, it's this, you know, this special, this special cream from this, or whatever oh, yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, it's like, and you go, okay, I mean, that's, that's real fall, you know, that's real fake news. It's like, okay, that's, that's not true. There's, it's like to say that, you know, that uh, you know things won't work or they aren't going to work. It's like you have to prove it. You have to you know you can't just sort of say, well, I'm, I don't prove, I don't believe this. It has to work. It's like okay, but it's got we got to do more. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tuhan, for 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 doing this. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tuhan, for 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 doing this. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. I mean, you're just one of those guys. You know, you're a pioneer. You set the example. And I appreciate your work and your leadership, and uh, you're, you're a great person. Every time I've met you, I've always lived with a smile, and I always learn a lot. I appreciate it. You <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. I will, I will try not to say anything negative to that, uh, because no matter how much I disagree with it, but it's okay. Hey, Amen. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much. Everybody, check out uh, Tuhan uh, Gamma Martial Arts in Montreal. MartialArts.com is the website. Hopefully, when this COVID shit takes a rest, I definitely recommend uh, making a trip there and learning from this gentleman. Thank you so much again. Thank you for being on the parlay, and hopefully, we can do this again in the future. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thumbs up. All right.